our final celebration service as Bayless Baptist Church as we become a new church together with the Journey South County. And it's a day that, honestly, I've been excited for, and I just don't know the word for it. It's complicated. We are, we cannot wait to see how the Lord provides next. And we're so excited to come on this venture with you. Um, some have asked, my role will be changing. I'll be uh, the associate pastor at the Journey Bayless. Um, I'll continue to preach probably, what, once a month, and roles and responsi responsibilities will change. I encourage you to pray for us. There's a few people who have been surprised to hear that we're staying. Um, I hope it's a good surprise and not a bad one. But we are planning on coming with you into this next season as we see what the Lord has next. We, um, but it is a sweet day for many of us. I mean, consider it, 65 years of hymns, potlucks, service projects, altar calls, Sunday school classes, baptisms, 66 years, I mean, 65 years of prayer, worship, and desperate dependence upon God's word. The neighborhood has changed. Yeah, it has. Politicians have changed. Pastors have come and gone over the years. Our hair may be grayer, our knees weaker, and our faces more lined than when we started. Friends, I, I, I cannot predict what the next years hold for us any more than I could have predicted what the past 65 held. And yet there are some assurances God wants us to have. And I, as I thought through what I wanted to reflect on in this, what is in many ways the, the starting of a new chapter, uh, hardly any passage sums up my heart for you as a pastor than Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. Would you keep your Bibles open to it as we consider it briefly this morning? I want to lead us in some... I want to leave us with some assurances that I hope we're all taking with us together as we take this step of faith, some things that are and always will be true. And I want to consider them under three headings because I can't help but give you three. And these all are P's, so take it, take it or leave it. Our partners, my prayers, and his promise. Would you read with me in verses 3 through 5? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want you to picture it with me. Paul is writing these words in house arrest, perhaps literally chained to a Roman guard. Arrested and abandoned by many, his influence fading from the scene. Maybe months or days before a trial with Caesar. And what at least he considers may be his certain death. Now, Paul will be freed later on, but we don't know that at this point. This is a man who doesn't know how many hours he has left. Let me ask you, how do you think he felt as he contemplated those days? Anxious, angry, confused. Maybe like us, playing out the upcoming conflict, trying to plan out his words to make his case, or 
perhaps contemplating, contemplating the blade that might suffer his, se- separate his head from body. No, at, at the lowest point in Paul's life thus far, his mind is consumed with others. Overwhelmed with joy of all emotions over the ones that he says he holds in his heart. The Philippians, a church that has stuck with him through it all and has just sent a gift they pray might meet his needs and bring him encouragement. His mind is consumed with them. After all, he knows that his circumstances have them bent out of shape. They are discouraged and anxious far more for him than he is. Like a child who sees their father in trouble, more afraid than he is that his life might end too soon. And so Paul writes, the most tender letter we have from the apostle, offering comfort and assurances I think we all need to have to those he calls his partners in the gospel. It's a fascinating image, isn't it, of all the ways he could have described their relationship? Teacher and student, as father and children. He thinks of something far more equalizing. Partners. Fellow partakers. Fellows not just in common task, but a common experience of grace. Can you see why I chose this? Friends, it is, uh, not to get sappy, Grace and I hold you dear in our hearts. As we've shared in the defense of the gospel, not in my imprisonment, thankfully, I don't feel like that. But as partakers in a grace that we are watching transform our community, our lives, our families firsthand. Partners in a mission, partakers in a promise. If I've led you in anything over these years, it is as one who is as dependent on the gospel as you are, as one who is honored by the privilege it is and has been to serve Jesus by your side. You are dear to me, brothers and sisters, more than you know. And even as roles change, I will remain your servant, his servant, your pastor, your partner. And so, does any other leader remember that God is going to entrust to us in this next season? And partners for something supernatural to make much of someone else. The one upon whom we all depend and who has stirred up such affection between us. The risen and reigning Christ. Friends, we have come to exist for something. Someone beyond ourselves, being swept up by a grace that none of us deserve, and so long that that grace remains in front of our sight, we will remain what Paul and the Philipp- we will remain to experience what Paul and the Philippians had, the kind of affection that remains in awkwardness and offense, the kind of joy that remains in uncertainty and loss. We will maintain joy and affection so long as his grace is before us to hold one another dear in our hearts until we present one another to the author and perfecter of our faith. Which leads me into 
really four prayers that Paul has and I share. Would you read with me in verses 9 through 11? It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Of all the ways I have and do pray for you, I think Paul summarizes it best. I pray for your love. Specifically for a love that grows. As Paul prays, I, I pray that your love abounds. More so than it ever has. More and more in this coming season. Why? Because none of us drift toward more love. We drift toward less. We don't drift toward genuine affection. We don't drift toward gentleness and kindness. We don't drift toward self-donating humility. We drift toward coldness, resentment, and self-protection. Just like we experience in our families, who we often treat the worst. Familiarity can breed contempt. We drift toward less love, and not more, with those we have constant relationship with, with those specifically who constantly test our patience and constantly threaten my opinion of myself. And so I pray that our love abounds, knowing how much it is threatened. But even more so, I pray that our love abounds because it can, more so than it ever has. Because, friends, there are new depths to be plumbed in the gospel. And so long as Christ's greatness has more riches to present us, that love can grow richer with it. So much so that our church, including the people and the leaders you do not yet know in this new congregation, together that our church might shine more so than it ever has in forgiveness, in compassion, in self-forgetful interest, in gospel glory, as Christ's grace transforms us into a community of grace that the world cannot ignore, but it will take as much work as it has in the past. My prayer, in a sense, is that our love not only grows, but outgrows us, as genuine in emotion as it is in deed. But also, I pray that your love, our love, knows mean by this i mean what paul means in verse 9 he prays that their love would abound with knowledge and all discernment what this gets at is the difficulty all of us face in love relationships particularly when they get messy and that we are not all that sure what love looks like in a good situation in a given situation or with a given person people are hard to love aren't they I should at least see one nodding head out there, yes. Let alone when our culture has so many misguided ideas about what love is. We all need wisdom to know what is good and the courage to practice what is good, believing deep down in my bones that it is what my neighbor needs. As Paul prays in other places, the thing we need knowledge of is his will. 
knowing who God is, what God says, and what he has done for us in love, so much so that I can navigate the real messiness that relationships present me with love, loving people as complicated as I am, as well as he has. Friends, my prayer is that you know and I know not what is convenient, but what is essential. Not what is comfortable, but what is best. Not what fits your plans, but his. And my prayer is that because you know it and because you're so at rest in that truth that you hold fast to it without compromise or capitulation, a love that knows. But also a love that shows. After all, Paul doesn't just pray that they might be able to approve what is excellent. He prays that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, even as I want us to recognize, we stand on the faithfulness of God in the past. We must set our eyes on the future. We are not home yet. And until we are, we have work to do. A savior we are soon to stand before, who spent every ounce of his life for his father's will. And before that Savior, we want to bring no dishonor, no wasted moment. No one retires from the service of the King. Friends, when Paul says pure and blameless, he means unmixed. He means that their love would be free of hypocrisy, of saying one thing and doing another, of doing one thing and yet feeling another. A love that is without mixed motives and expects nothing in return. And not only is that the kind of love I pray for you, but for myself. As the waters get choppy. How easy, after all, is it for our love to devolve into something that is not only weak, but false. Especially when you may have worked hard to gain trust with those around you and you aren't looking to welcome others into your circle how easy is it for us to list all the excuses why it's someone else's turn for a change someone else must roll up their sleeves or why we have already given up enough of our preferences and bandwidth already isn't it my turn how easy is it for our love to drift not only into something that is weak but false? Friends, I, I pray that our love might count when it matters. A love that shows in the midst of tension, in the places where love should not. I pray for a love that shows. But last, I pray for a love that goes. After all, why is it we've chosen to do something as crazy and as costly as the members of this church voted to do? After all, I didn't vote for it. I just presented it for you. I'm not gonna, I'm just, I'll take responsibility nonetheless. The, is it just to survive? If that's the case, then we've already lost friends. Did we just vote to embark on this next series of change because we want to finally retire that stinking debt on the place? 
and praise God, we will. But no, even as I'm grateful for that, there has to be more. After all, Paul prays that the Philippians might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That when we stand before Christ, we might have something to show for our church, the church that he has joined us to, and for, and for which we will all owe an account. I have to tell you, this, has, this fruitfulness has mu- as much to do with internal fruit as it does with external It has as much to do with your personal growth in godliness and humility and in joy and our growth together as a community of selfless care as it does to our growth and fruitfulness beyond us. Friend, in all of our prayers about this transition, do you pray that Christ might use this to draw more people to himself? Do you pray for the people who are not yet in this place, who will not be with us on November 6th, but the people that Christ has determined to save through your faithfulness? Do you pray that Christ might draw more to himself, open more eyes to the truth as he has opened yours, to grant new birth to new people who you are going to need to help us disciple? Do you pray that God might bring a harvest of righteousness in your life, whatever the cost, and in our church, not only inside, but outside as well. Friends, my prayer is that I might present you and you might present me before Christ, not having wasted our days, our money, and our anxieties on what is passing, but on the mission Christ has instructed us to be busy at until he returns. A love that grows, a love that knows, a love that shows, and a love that goes. I can't help the rhyming. I'm sorry. You have no idea how long it takes me to like. This is my prayers for us as we embark on the most disruptive change our church has even considered. And could it be that the best is still yet to come? After all, the final thing we must consider is the promise Paul clings to, a promise that undergirds everything. Friends, as we prepare to leave from this place and in a sense begin again as a people, I want to bring this promise to mind. Before we do, I want you to think. Think first upon how many people have come through these doors over the past 65 years. How many friends sat beside you clinging to the comfort of the gospel? How many are not here anymore and how many are in Christ, with Christ in glory? Think about the ugliness that many of us have seen over the years. How many years we wondered whether we would make it another one. How many desperate prayers that have gone up to heaven wondering if God might hear and respond. Think as well of the meals that have been shared, the people that were beside you in grief and in joy, of the turns life took that you could not have predicted, but ended up being for your good. Think of the leaders who have prayed for you, served you, taught and shepherded you, not because the gig paid a lot, 
because they did so out of genuine love. And think of the ways your heart and imagination have come to grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love that is ours through Christ. And of the people who will be joining you in glory because they learned of that gospel here. In other words, friends, think upon not the faithfulness of this church, but the faithfulness of our God. And how that same God is going to be faithful to us again. After all, friends, I, I cannot predict again what changes come ahead. I have my guesses, of course. I, none of us knows what uncertainties and surprises, what losses and additions, what griefs and joys tomorrow holds. But what we do know is the same thing that Paul knows and clings to, even when everything in his life would appear to be falling apart, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. For 65 years, many things have changed. He has not. The Lord and the good news of his grace for sinners like us will never change. There are more who need to hear it. And we have more to walk in step with him. If he knew, if our Savior knew what it would cost him to save us, do we really think that he is not prepared to carry us home? If he is responsible for planting the tree of our salvation, is he not responsible for bringing it to fruit? We are talking about the very God who not only made the world, but redeemed the world at infinite cost to himself and soon will remake it for our joy. That God is not done and he is not done with us. As we take this next fork in the path and there will be many forks to come, he will be faithful again. And he will do so for something so much better than our temporary comforts and fleeting reputations or the name of our church but for the very place where we will find our joy forever in the glory and praise of our God. Do you doubt it? Do you fear that we might drift away from love and into apathy? Do you see how greatly our pride threatens us even now? Look upon Christ. Consider how this good work was begun who it is that is bringing it to completion, and whose stories we will be telling for generations to come long after we are forgotten. Friends, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more until we see him face to face. Lord, we come to you as, as servants. All flesh is like grass, temporary and fleeting. Not so our God. His glory will be enduring and will be our song forever. We have limited days, and they are uncharted waters in front of us. We know that you will be faithful. You have better things in store for us than we could ask or imagine. 
and yet we need your help to fight for a love that grows and goes, a love that knows you, a love that shows itself when it matters. After all, isn't that the love we've received from Christ? And so we ask you as a community of stubborn sinners saved by grace, help us again. Fill our imaginations, our hearts, our minds, and will with the knowledge of him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's for his glory and his sake that we pray these things.